You know, there are, there are movies, mostly, mostly guy movies, uh, but movies where the whole premise is based on someone getting even with an enemy. You know, if you're of a, a certain demographic, maybe you think about a True Grit star, one of my favorites, uh, John Wayne. Maybe you think about, well, just about any Clint Eastwood movie, okay, or or Payback, starring Mel Gibson, and, and speaking of Mel Gibson, like Braveheart, or, or The Patriot. Anyway, there, there are a bunch of these kind of movies, and I could go on and on, but culturally speaking, we, we as guys, at least, we, we love these movies. For some reason, we, we love the idea of getting even. You know, we love the, the notion of someone getting what's What's coming to them? I don't, I don't know for sure why we're, we're like that. I think it has something to do at least with, you know, how we're, how we're wired for justice. You know, we, not, not just men, but all of us, as I, as I said this morning, we're, we're made in the image of God. And while our God is certainly a God of, of grace and forgiveness, our God is, is a God of love. But he is also unquestionably a God of justice. And so we as creatures made in God's image, we have this aspect of who we are that, that, that craves justice. We, we want evil to be punished, you know, or at least what we understand to be evil. That's, that's why many of us rejoiced the other night when Alabama finally lost a national championship, right? I mean... I'm kidding, of course, but, but really, we, we want evil empires brought down, you know? We, we want injustices to be made right. We, we want the little guy to win. Why? Because we're made in God's image, and that's who our God is. He's a God of justice. The problem comes, and, and this, is, this is the main problem with most of those uh, revenge movies, the problem comes when we assume the role of the giver of justice. And it's especially problematic when we become the judge over wrongs that have been committed against us. Because then it's not justice anymore. Then it's simply revenge. And revenge is not in the heart of God. Revenge is not in God's nature, the attraction that we have toward revenge, really that's not of God at all. Revenge is, is nothing more than a sinful perversion of justice. You say, well, why, why, why do you say that? Well, just think about it. Justice in its purest form is making things right for others. When Jesus Christ went to the cross, he, he didn't do that for himself. He did that for others. He did that for us. He justified us before the Father through his sacrifice on the cross. There was nothing self-seeking at all about that act of justice. But revenge, revenge is the opposite. Revenge, by its, by its very nature, it's self-seeking. And because of its close relationship with justice, when we've been wronged, revenge is a powerful, powerful temptation. That's why the Bible is full of admonitions against us. For, for example, uh, Paul in Romans 12, 19 tells us, Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God, for it is written, 
Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. And so vengeance, revenge, justice, all of that, all of that ultimately belongs to the Lord. And we need to learn, as followers of Jesus, we need to learn to trust the Lord with it. Even though revenge is a huge part of our culture, as disciples of Jesus Christ, instead of seeking revenge, we need to learn to forgive. That's why in the Lord's Prayer, the example prayer that we've been studying for a while together on Sunday nights, that's why the Lord Jesus in this prayer tells us that when we pray, we should pray asking the Lord, to forgive our sins, but not just to forgive our sins, not just to forgive our debts, but to forgive our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. You see, as followers of Jesus, forgiveness isn't just something that we receive. Praise the Lord, we certainly receive it, but it's also something that because we receive it, we should readily give. And so that's what I want to talk about tonight. And to do that, I want us to look together. Certainly we're going to look at the Lord's Prayer in Matthew chapter 6, but I also want us to go back just one chapter in Matthew chapter 5. I want us to look at verses 38 through 48, because here in Matthew 5, Jesus spends a great deal of time teaching us, giving us a new perspective when it comes to handling the way we handle our enemies. It's a standard that's that's so different from the way that our culture often looks at this. It's so different that there are plenty of people, even today, who argue that Jesus, well, he didn't didn't really mean what he says here. But, But if we look at this passage carefully, we'll discover that not only was Jesus being quite literal here, But we'll also discover that his words will help us understand how to live up to this new standard uh, for our enemies, the standard against revenge. So let's take a look. Now, what we're going to do first, as we've been doing throughout this series, we're going to read the Lord's Prayer up to this point. Today, that'll be Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 through 12. And then we're going to flip back a page or two, however many that it is in your Bible, and read uh, Matthew 5 verses 38 through 48. Let's let's stand together as we do that. First, Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 9. Pray then, Jesus says, in this way, our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Now flip back to Matthew 5, starting in verse 38. Jesus says, You've heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist an evil person, but whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other to him also. If anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, let him have your coat also. Whoever forces you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to him who asks of you, and do not turn away from him who wants to borrow from you. You've heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and 
hate your enemy, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good, and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteousness. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? If you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? Therefore, you are to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Let's pray together. Father God, help us to hear your word. Help us to apply it to our lives. Holy Spirit, open our minds to show us where we are lacking, where we have room to grow. Lord, help us to see our enemies from your perspective so that when we pray, we won't just be consumed with our forgiveness, but that we would have hearts of forgiveness towards those who have wronged. Thank you, Lord, for your Son, Jesus, who has made us right. Yes, even perfect in your eyes. It's in his name we pray. Amen. You can be seated. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. How do we do that? How how do we look at Jesus' teaching here and apply this to our lives. Well, as we do that, as we look at Matthew 5, I want, us to, I want us to point out three important actions, actions that we have to take if we're going to be people who are ready to forgive every time. And here are the actions. You ready? We need to adopt a new perspective. We need to set a new goal. And then we have to receive a new Savior. First, adopt a new perspective. Look at verse 35 again. Here in verse 35, Jesus is he's taking a, a previously misunderstood commandment of the Old Testament, and he, he's taking it back to the way that it was intended to be received in the first place. Many of the commands of the Old Testament, but by the time Jesus came on the scene, they had been sort of twisted around and, and, and made to accommodate the culture uh, as a whole. And, and what he's doing, he's taking it back to the way that it was intended uh, to be received to begin with. He's, he's talking about turning the other cheek. He's talking about going the extra mile and so forth. I heard a story a while back that reminds me of uh, some conversations that we have at our house. Uh, apparently, there was, there was a, a mother of four young boys who, like uh, most moms of young boys, had a, a hard time keeping their well their energy okay at bay especially in church but she noticed one Sunday when the preacher was was preaching on this passage he was talking about turning the other cheek uh, the, uh, the boys gave him their undivided attention no matter what people do to us the preacher said we should never try to get even well, of course that afternoon the youngest boy came into the into the house and he was just absolutely bawling between sobs, he, he told his, his mom that he you know, kicked one of his brothers, who, of course, you know, returned the favor. Well, his mom said, you know, well, listen, buddy, I'm sorry you're hurt, but you shouldn't go around kicking 
people. And he was still choking back the tears, and he answered, and he, he said, but, but the preacher said he isn't supposed to kick me back. And that's really the hang-up that a lot of people have with this passage, especially young men. You know, if, if Jesus meant that I can't retaliate, how do I keep from getting beat up all the time, right? Well, we have to understand that Jesus wasn't suggesting here that, that anyone become somebody else's doormat. On, on the contrary, again, Jesus was all about justice. He, he recognized the dignity of the poor. Uh, he, he recognized the, uh, the dignity of those less fortunate better than anybody else in history. But what Jesus is advocating here is not just another legalistic system of, of putting up with people who try to hurt us. You know, somebody hits you on one cheek and, and you turn the other cheek and then they hit that one as well and then you come back, well, I'm all out of cheeks, you know, and just tear into them. That, that's not what Jesus is advocating here. Instead, what he's saying is that his followers ought to be people with a new perspective, a new way of looking at things. You see, Jesus lived during a very religious time. And the attitude of that day was, eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. We, we see these admonitions in three different places in the Old Testament, but unless we understand their original purpose, we can't really understand Jesus' point here. You see, in the Old Testament, the law, the eye, in, the, in the Old Testament law, the eye for an eye rule was designed to protect poor people from being mistreated by other people in the Jewish community who were more wealthy and more powerful. That was the whole point. But by Jesus' day, it was seen as more of a right than a means of protection. For example, if somebody uh, accidentally killed someone else's sheep, uh, the one whose sheep would kill would, would go to court, you know, and they would point to the law, and they would, they would cry out before the judge, an eye for an eye. I need to get what's coming. And if someone took some figs off of your fig tree and you found out about it. You'd go and you'd, you'd steal grapes from his vineyard. And if you got caught, you'd point to the law and say, wait a second, an eye for an eye. So Jesus' message to his followers is this. You're not to be that way. You are people with a new perspective. You're to understand that this is not about you. You're, the, the world does not revolve around you. You're to be people who aren't consumed with getting what you deserve. Instead, you're to be people who are consumed only with God. And whatever you receive, that's just a manifestation of His grace. And the fruit of this perspective comes out in the way that we treat each other. If someone hits you on the cheek in an insulting way, don't fly off the handle. Open your other cheek to him as well. If someone takes you to court to, to take your outer garment, offer them your shirt too and show them that they're taking everything that you have. If a Roman soldier, remember there were Roman soldiers all over the place in Jesus' day. If a Roman soldier forces you to go one mile carrying his gear, offer to go with him two miles and do these things to the glory of God. And so what does that mean for us today? Well, it means that if we claim to follow Jesus Christ, we need to get this new perspective. It's not about us. 
Now, more than likely, nobody's going to slap you across the face unless you deserve it, you know, and, and nobody's going to force you to carry his gear, and nobody's going to sue you for your clothing, but, but it is a possibility that tomorrow on your way to work, somebody may cut you off in traffic. There's this chance that on, on Tuesday, someone could start a rumor about you. I'm not saying it's going to happen, but, but maybe this Wednesday, someone could treat you with disrespect, or on Thursday, someone could break into your car and steal some things. I mean, this is Shelby County, right? On, on Friday, someone could betray your trust. On Saturday, someone could flake out and let you down. And then Sunday, it could just start all over again. These things happen. And when these things happen to you, the best thing you can do is listen. Listen for Jesus' voice in your ear. Reminding you, it's not about you. It's a new perspective. Now, hopefully not, but maybe you're thinking, well, it's not about, if it's not about me, who is it about? And I'm glad you asked, because Jesus shows us here that when it comes to forgiving those who trespass against us, not only do we need to adopt this new perspective, but we also, we also need to set a new goal. Now, this is the time of year when we set new goals, right? Hopefully, you haven't already given up on the goals you set for 2017. But let's, let's look at a really important goal that we all need to set if we're to be people of forgiveness. Look at verse 43 again. Here Jesus, he tells his disciples that they ought to, ought to behave in a way that probably seemed pretty strange to them. He says, you're not just supposed to put up with your enemies, you're, you're supposed to love your enemies. Apparently, according to what we see here, it was, it was common in Jesus' day to quote the Old Testament and say, well, you know, I have to love my neighbor, but, but I don't have to love that guy. You heard what he did to me. But Jesus says, not only are you to love your neighbors, people that you like, but you also need to love people you don't get along with. You need to you need to love your enemies. And not only that, you need to pray for those who make your life miserable. Probably these disciples were looking at Jesus like, like he was crazy. They were, they were probably thinking, well, why, why in the world would I do that? Because he tells them in verse 45, he says, the reason you should do this is because you might show yourselves to be the sons of your Father in heaven. This is how you represent your identity about who you are now. And then he goes on and explains what he means. He says, think about it. God loves everybody equally. He, he lets the sun rise for everybody. He lets the, the rain fall on, on everybody. He doesn't just reward the nice people. And then he continues. He says, how are you showing the world around you that you belong to God if you only love people who are nice to you? Everybody does that. Even the people you regard as evil, even the Gentiles. Remember, he was talking to a Jew, Jewish audience. Even they do that. In other words, he gives them a new goal. And the goal is this. Love people like God loves people. Even people who are, who are horrible to you. And love them so that they can see that you belong to him. In other words, stop worrying about glorifying yourself and start worrying 
about glorifying God. None of us had to learn how to glorify ourselves, did we? My mom often talks about when I was a kid and I learned how to tie my shoes. I mean, I was, I was an oldest child, okay, and the oldest grandchild, and so, uh, man, I, I knew how to get attention, right? Apparently everybody knew that I knew how to tie my shoes. Grandparents, you know, want to see me tie my shoes? Friends, you know, want to see me tie my shoes? The mailman, want to see me tie my shoes? Hey, if you're interested, I'll do it for you right now. I can, I can still do it, I promise you. You know, the mailman, want to, you know, anyway. Uh, I, like everybody else, I was born with this natural desire for approval. I wanted everybody around me to say, yeah, Freddie, you can, yeah, you can tie your shoes. I wanted to be glorified. And I passed that on to my kids. Rarely a day goes by that. I don't have one of my kids saying, one of my guys saying, hey, Dad, watch this. Look at this. See what I did. And I love that. I hope they never stop. But, but what they're doing is they're, they're looking for that approval. My boys, like all of us, they want to be glorified. You're the same way. Maybe to that, not to that extent, in, in our natural sinful state, we all want to be glorified. We all want people to think highly of us, to, to praise us. And unless we come to the point in our lives where we begin living for something else, bringing glory to ourselves, that's going to be the, the number one goal of our lives. To the point that we spend a lot of our time worrying about glorifying ourselves, worrying about our image, worrying about what people think about us, worrying about what things look like on our social media accounts, to the point where we, we dwell on some, some word that someone else says about us, or, or some way that, that someone else insults us, to the point that we worry about and think about how we can get revenge. They made me look bad, so I'm going to I'm going to make them look bad. She hurt my feelings, so I'm going to hurt hers. He caused me pain, so I'm going to cause him pain. Instead of forgiveness, we pursue revenge. And in these verses, Jesus says that as his followers, we have new marching orders. We have a new Goal As his followers, our goal is not for people around us to look at us and, and, and say how wonderful we are so that, so that when people fail to do that, we're consumed with how we can get even. As his followers, our goal is for people to look at us with all of our, our warts, with all of our failures, and to see how God uses us in spite of our junk and to say how wonderful our God is. So what do we need to do in order to look like Jesus Christ when we are pressed? We need to adopt a new perspective. Instead of the world revolving around us, it revolves around God. We need to set a new goal. Instead of living to glorify ourselves, we live to glorify God. But we can't do this on our own. That's why we have to do the third thing. Most importantly, if we're going to learn to forgive, we have to be forgiven. We have to receive a new Savior. 
In verse 48, Jesus summarizes all of his teachings, not just from this passage, but, but all the way back from, in, from verse 20 until verse 47. He summarizes all of this with this final instruction. He says, be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. Now, of course, we read that and we think, well, how in the world can I be perfect? I'm not perfect. In fact, I, I know that on my own, I can't be perfect even in just what I've heard about tonight. Anybody here like reality TV? I'll be honest with you, I, I don't. I'm not, a, I'm not a big TV guy anyway, but I really don't like reality TV, not even Duck Dynasty, okay? I'm, I'm sure they're nice guys and all, just, just not, not my thing. But, of course, you know, now there are tons of reality TV shows on hundreds of channels, but, but the fact is it hasn't always be that, been that way. 25 years ago, for all practical purposes, there was really only one reality television show, and it, and it came on a, a TV channel I'm sure you never watched, but it, it was called The Real World. It came on MTV, and the show still comes on today. I haven't watched it in a terribly long time. The, the basic premise of this goofy show was this. You get a bunch of socially and culturally diverse college-age kids kids from extremely different backgrounds. You put them in a house together in a metropolitan area. You, you turn on the cameras and you watch what happens. And for every episode of every season, back in the 90s when I was in, in high school, as the show opened, the, the different kids living in the house for that season, they would all take turns reciting a different section of the show's slogan, which went, which went like this. This is the true story of seven strangers to live in a house and have their lives taped to find out what happens when people stop being nice and start getting real. If you're my age, you remember that, right? Find out what happens when people stop being polite and start getting real. It's hard to imagine this, okay? But in this area, Jesus and MTV of the 90s have incredibly similar philosophies. When Jesus was here the first time, Jesus lived in a world where people were polite. They were outwardly, externally polite. The most religious people of the day trying to live according to the letter of the religious law, even though they misinterpreted it, it incredibly. And they looked down on those who didn't obey the law as strictly as they did. Unfortunately, though, their righteousness was purely external. They didn't understand the real intent of the Old Testament law, which was to drive people to surrender to and to worship the one true God. The point of, the, of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount was to drive people to stop just being polite, and to start being authentic, start being real in their relationship with God. You're right, on your own, you can't behave perfectly. It doesn't matter how hard you try to look good on the outside. There is a heart of darkness within every one of us. We are consumed, as we talked about this morning, with sin. 
But praise God, through a relationship with Jesus Christ, God can regard us as perfect. Because when we come to accept Jesus Christ as our Savior and Lord, God chooses to overlook our failures and sin, and He chooses to regard us as perfect. Not because of what we've done or what we do, but because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross of Calvary. No, we cannot behave perfectly. But if we will stop being polite and start getting real with God through a relationship with His Son, we can be perfect in His eyes. We can be forgiven. And if you'll own that forgiveness, then and only then will you have what it takes to forgive those who trespass against you. It takes a new perspective, it takes a new goal, and it takes a new Savior. And I'll just tell you, when you get this new perspective, and when you own this new goal, in light of this Savior that you've experienced, people will notice. They'll notice that you're not just being polite, and that you're being real. I'm going to take a minute and brag on my, on my wife. She's not in here, so she can't stop me. A couple of weeks ago, we took a little trip on Christmas break up to a certain place in St. Louis. and We stayed in this little cabin at this little, little place. It was just a couple of days we got away with the family. And, and well, we, we came back, and, and two of our guys who happened to sleep and they took turns sleeping in one of the beds there in the facility where we were. They came back and they had these bites all over them. I mean, it was it was something going on there in the, we think in that facility, and 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 we debated on what to do. And and uh, Jennifer finally she said, you know, I think we need to to call them and and tell them that this happened just in, you know so they can at least get things under control, you know, before the next person uh, arise. We understand things like that just happen. And, and so she, she called and uh, she, she told the lady, she said, look, uh, I'm, not, I'm not angry. I'm not upset anything. I just, I just feel like you need, you need to know. And she explained what happened. And she, she was telling me the story. She said there was a, just a pause on the other end of the, of the phone. And the lady said, are you kidding me? And Jennifer said, well, no, I mean, really, we're not, we're not upset or anything. She said, well, no. She said, are you kidding me? She said, I'm a mom. I have, I have two kids, and the way you're reacting the, to this makes me embarrassed about the way that I've reacted to things that I've reacted to in the past. She said, you're not upset. And Jennifer just simply said, no, no, there's, you know, we, we understand these kind of things happen, and and uh, it's just, in the whole grand scheme of things, it's just not that important. We'll get it taken care of. And, and this lady, we don't know what her relationship with God was. She said, where do you live? And Jennifer told her, and, and she said, oh, man. She said, I, I tell you what, if you lived up here, we would be making an appointment right down to sit down over a glass of wine, and, to, and I want to, so I could get to know you. Jennifer didn't have the heart to tell her she was the wife of a Baptist preacher, but, but anyway. The point is this, people notice. And if we will live authentic lives of forgiveness in light of what Jesus Christ has done for us, 
we'll have conversations like this all the time. And when we have conversations like this, that's the Lord giving us the opportunity to sing the praise of His forgiveness. Why does this not bother me? Why am I forgiving so easily? It's because I serve a God who has forgiven me of things you cannot imagine. We forgive because He has forgiven us. And when we forgive, we can continue to pray, Father, forgive me as I forgive those who have sinned against me. Let's pray together. Father God, thank you for the forgiveness that you offer us. Thank you for the the joy that it is to walk with you and to represent you before this lost and dying world. Lord, perhaps there's someone here tonight who, who doesn't know you in a personal way. Lord, I pray that they, that you would impress upon them their need for your forgiveness. And Lord, for those of us who do know you, I pray tonight that you would impress upon us, not just tonight, but but throughout the remainder of this week, those that we need to forgive. Even as we pray tonight and ask you, Lord, to forgive our debts as we forgive our debtors, Bring to mind some, some debt that we have been holding over the head of someone else. And give us the strength to forgive it right now so that we can live in the freedom and joy of your grace. Lord, we love you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let me invite you, if you will, to stand. If you're here tonight and you do not know Jesus Christ, this will be a great time uh, to make Him your Lord and Savior. If you're here and you need to make some other decision of faith, man, we welcome that as well. Brother John is going to lead us in a song as we sing, You Come.